Welcome to Bridge the Divide Podcast. A podcast where church leaders have real and honest conversations about issues of race and the way forward to racial reconciliation. Subscribe wherever you find podcasts or watch the video version over on YouTube. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bridge the Divide, episode number eight. Uh, I'm Kirby. Uh, Matt is here with me. David is here with me. We're all friends uh, who are leading a church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and we're in the process of building a multi-ethnic church, if you don't know our story. And we created this podcast, Bridge the Divide, that we can have real and raw conversations about race and faith uh, and just all those different things and how they intersect. Um, Today is our quarantine edition, if you're watching the video. Uh, we've had COVID exposure, and so each of us are at our own homes versus being together for today. So it's definitely a little bit different vibe than our other podcasts, uh, but we're going to make it work. Uh, another announcement we want to make, this is our last podcast for season one of Bridge the Divide. Um, listen, we're super excited and humbled, and we've had so much fun doing this, uh, but this episode will end season one. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll pick up with season two. Uh, with new content and conversations for you guys. So please uh, keep tuning in, uh, share this with people. Um, Yeah, we hope you've been enjoying the ride so far. All right, did I miss anything? I mean, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss post podcast pizza today. Man. Oh man, facts on that. Oh my God, oh my God. Literally, people don't know this that are listening. We have had pizza after every podcast. Not just just any pizza. Not just any. Shout Shout out out. to Wells Brothers Restaurant located on the south side of Racine, Wisconsin. It is some of the best pizza in the nation. Yeah, maybe the thinnest crust I've ever had in my life. Hands down, it is some of the best pizza in the nation. It's got to be top 10 in the United States. Uh, saw, oh, man, that's high praise. I saw an article or something about the best pizza in the nation that came yeah. out, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, and it was ranked top 10. It, it, mm-hmm. Wells Brothers is legit, so shout out to Wells Brothers. Written by the mayor of Racine. <laughs> 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 if we're not careful, we're going to talk about food uh, the entire I mean, episode. That's yeah, we got a transition. Come on, come on. <laughs> So today we want to have a conversation. Uh, we're calling this episode End Game. Yeah. And uh, Kirby, a couple weeks ago uh, when we were recording, you made a statement um, about how biblical justice was different from maybe social justice or, or what our society says is justice. And mm. it really just got me thinking. I was like, that's an interesting comment. And so then I'm like, well, what is like, what is justice? Like, what are we even after? And I think today we want to have that conversation of what's, what's kind of like our, what's the end goal? What's our, what's our end game, right? So we've got these different movements, uh, different political groups have their own agenda and what they want to see um, take place and happen. But as uh, Christians, as church leaders, like our end game is, is different than uh, I would think maybe all the secular organizations and what they want to see happen. Um, so I thought today it'd be great to just chat about that. What's, what's, uh, what's our end game. And, and maybe before we jump into kind of answering that question, just talk a little bit about some of the end games of, you know, maybe politically the right versus the left or some of these movements. Um, so when you guys want to jump in with start of that conversation. Okay, so so as we have this conversation and begin to kind of look at, I guess, the political side, uh, you know, the separation between the right and the left, the Democrat Party, Republican Party, uh, I, I want our viewers and listeners to know um, in, in, in these next few moments, we're going to oversimplify in some ways and kind yeah. of generalize kind of the overall, I guess, plight of, 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 of these parties. So I want to be, be clear, this is not going to be a deep dive into party politics as we have right. this conversation. Right. right. And, 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 and transparent. Yeah. Yeah. Folks that are in consider themselves part of those camps will probably be very dissatisfied uh, with how we explain each, but we're going to do our best to give kind of an overview or like you said, an oversimplified view of that for discussion's sake. And hopefully it's helpful, but probably folks are just going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, so, so when we have this conversation and, and we look at, I guess, issues of 
justice and humanity and equality and all these kinds of things. Uh, I, I think in, in a general sense, each of the dominant parties in our country have, have a path that they think will get us there in some ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, and I'm excluding what we would call the radical right and the radical left. Right. Cause right. one of the things we've seen emerge in recent history is, is kind of uh, a more radicalized polarizing fringe in our political mm -hmm. parties, right? That seem to be a little bit further out and further away than kind of the mainstream party membership, right? Sure. Um, it, it, this is fair to make that statement. So, so let's, I guess we should start with, with the right. Sure. Um, I think the right or the Republican party, um, it seems to me when I assess kind of policies and, and movement and agenda, it, it looks like the right, is is mostly concerned with individualism um that that people would take care of themselves that people would work hard that that people would hold themselves accountable you know that that people would be responsible for their own actions and outcomes you know if, if there's a, a a kind of a simple way for me to kind of wrap my mind around I guess the political philosophy of the Republican Party it has to do with individualism in the sense mm -hmm. that that America is built on people having the opportunity to work hard and, and that it's up to you to either be successful or fail. It's up uh -huh. to you to make choices. There's opportunity around and you have to kind of make the choice. And it looks to me like politically the Republican party uh, in that they tend to step against legislation that, that they feel like the government is too involved or too hands-on. Like there's too much of a focus on the corporate and the government's role in the individual lives of people. So it, it looks to me as I look at, again, the, the political philosophy of the P Republican Party, um, one of the things you've heard in recent history is small government. Mm -hmm. um, and again, I take that to mean, listen, people have a right to earn money and do business and live their lives without massive interference from the government. Mm -hmm. And so there seems to be this tendency to fight against policy again that that will be deemed as too much involvement from the government. And so the focus seems to be on the ind preserving the individual rights and freedoms of Americans in, in, in that regard, right? I mean, what, what, what would you guys say as we look yeah, at kind I, of the Republican Party? Yeah, I think um, just, you know, a lot of, there's the thought of like liberal or conservative. So the Republican Party would be conservative, mm -hmm. meaning that, you know, part of their goal and perspective is to conserve, to preserve what America has already had. So um, I think there's a thought, kind of like what you're saying, that American dream of everyone's got a fair shot um, to make it. If you work hard, if you bust your butt, like you're going to make it in, in this world, in, in America, you're going to be successful. Um, and so because of that, there's the thought process of we need to, you know, do things or pass laws or resist laws in order to conserve and preserve what we've had. Thus, you know, uh, Trump's uh, big slogan has been make America great again, right? So it's this look back to the past and what we've had in America and trying to preserve that. That's kind of what I see. Yeah. Okay. And I think before we even talk about some problems with that, I think we should talk about just the left's approach and how it's different than that approach. So you know I'm saying? Are, are we done with the right, though? Like, Matt, do you have any perspective on kind of how you view the agenda of kind of the Republican Party? I just think that's pretty good. The idea of conserving the idea of the individual being the important factor. You know, and it's thinking through personal responsibility, taking responsibility on yeah, your that, own. Ooh, that's a good you know, way to say personal responsibility. And I think that's very important on the conservative side, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that has a lot to do with viewpoints and what and whatnot. But I think kind of to contrast that, then the left side, just talking about positives of both or maybe just viewpoint before we talk about negatives of both. I think the difference is, so David talked about the conservative side to conserve, right? And to, to make America great again, right? To conserve, to stay in that side. But then you have the left side, the, they 
kind of be called the progressive side. Sure. They want to progress, right? So they're concerned about inequality in our nation, and we want to progress down that road. How do we make things more equal for everyone, right? How do we make things more uh, how do we pass laws and programs and things that help people kind of be more equal? And again, oversimplification of both, obviously. I, I, I want to be clear, though, as or careful, I should say, yep. as we define the ideology of the left. Yep. Because the first word you said was equality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be careful that we don't primarily paint the Democrat Party as like, the champion for justice and equality in that way. I don't know if that's primary. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, I think it's kind of like the right kind of views that we've, we've already set up a society that is, that has people have a fair shot. The left's uh, viewpoint is that our society isn't working. And so we need to change it to become more have more equality. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, Yeah, I think so. So it's kind of like the right side wants to conserve, wants to, um, you know, wants to keep what we've already had. The left side wants to change and, you know, in their words, progress to become a better society. It would be how they word it. And so I would say the left seems to be more focused on the corporate, you know, like, um, you know, we stated that the right wing is focused on kind of the individual personal yeah. responsibility. Uh, the left seems to be more focused on corporate responsibility in terms of the entities in the country, in terms mm-hmm. of the role of the government uh, and how the government is involved in individual life, how the government is involved in corporations and businesses and just all the different systems and institutions of the country. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So their perspective seems to be more one of the corporate, you know, how, how do we work legislation in the way, in a way that, that there's more corporate benefit from their perspective. Right. Yep. yep. That's good. Okay. So I'm talking about some of the, some of the issues that we see with, with both of these agendas. So um, here's where we're going to really make people upset. but, <laughs> but the thing is like, Hey, we're, we are Christians, like we put Jesus first, we put uh, what we see in the Bible as first, and so we're not afraid. And as Christians, we shouldn't be afraid to critique uh, our societies and point out things that, hey, this isn't right. This isn't, you know, what Jesus said. This isn't what, um, you know, the Bible teaches. This isn't uh, how it should be. Um, and so I hope that even as we talk today that you uh, um yeah, just receive what we're saying. Uh, we're trying to be honest and humble and have real conversations here. But anyway, so uh, with the right, one of the things that I see as an issue is because because the right uh, and their and their mindset is that we want to conserve because America has already, in a sense, arrived to this great nation. There's a unwillingness to. Um, really listen to and process some of the major issues that our nation has had mm-hmm. uh, in, in its history, specifically uh, about America's history in oppressing minorities. Um, mm-hmm. America it has a really gross history in terms of that, right? Slavery like, is the big one. Um, taking people from their homes in Africa uh, over here to the to America to work for free without pay, dividing their families like it it's grotesque to think about. Even thinking about the things that uh, America did in terms of the uh, Native Americans uh, and and the Trail of Tears and there's there's some really um, heartbreaking uh, injustices that that yeah. America has needs to reconcile with. And so I think part of the problem with the right is there's kind of an unwillingness to go there and talk about and think about the things that we did or, or it's kind of like, well, we dealt with that in the past. We shouldn't have to deal with that now, even though we're still minorities are still living through the results of the mistakes that our nation made decades ago, a hundred years ago. Um, So I think that's part of the problem that I see with with the right you know we're called to 
um, as Christians bring everything under the authority of Jesus. We're building the kingdom of God. And, you know, uh, one of Jesus' famous prayers is he says, on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. So part of us building the kingdom of God is us trying to make earth as much like heaven as we can. Like we're Mm -hmm. God's agents in that. And so in heaven, there's not going to be anyone who's poor or oppressed, right? And so in in my mind, part of living out the gospel, part of living Mm -hmm. out uh, being a a member of the kingdom of God should be working toward a society where no one is poor, no one is oppressed. I think too often – the right side will, anytime we start talking about this stuff, throw it out. Well, it's just social gospel. That's not the gospel. But really, um, because of what Jesus has done for us, uh, it should lead us to love each other better. It should lead us to, um, to make, make our, our local communities as well as our nation um, more like heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the challenges with individualism is is w- when you view the plight of people through the lens of kind of personal responsibility, that then it negates any mandate or obligation from the government or other structures or systems to intervene. Uh, and even when you brought up like slavery and some of those kinds of things, it's like you know sometimes you hear response with well, that I didn't do that. Like I'm not mm-hmm. responsible for that for what maybe ancestors or other people did 200 years ago. I think that that ideology is connected to a personal responsibility, right. saying I had nothing to do with that, you had nothing to do with that. Let's just, you know, let's Forget let's live it. in the now and let yeah. that go and create something as we move forward together because neither one of us are responsible for the things that happened 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sure. connected to personal responsibility and that individualistic kind of worldview that we often see um, from the conservative party, you know, as, right, yeah. as we kind of push into these things. Um, yeah. But let me also say, as we look at, um, you know, the right and the left, the two parties in America, both of them, I believe, are pursuing a kingdom without a king, yeah. right? We've heard that phrase before in terms of, you know, th- there there are elements that that I think both parties embrace that, that have elements of truth, mm-hmm. um, but both of them present incomplete pictures of what the kingdom actually is, you know, mm-hmm. on earth as it is in heaven, that kind of thing. Um, and so, David, as you were talking about kind of the obligation of taking care of the poor and dealing with oppression, uh, I think one of the challenges my friends on the right would say, that's not the government's job to do. That's mm-hmm. the job of people and churches and organizations to take care of the poor. You know, so it's a, you know, it, it's not the government's job to do those things. Mm-hmm. It's the individual, again, it is the individual collective of Christians and people that are supposed to do these kinds of things to help take care of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think the hard t- part and the hard road to navigate as believers is in a two-party system, sometimes it's both. Sometimes the answer is where one side is leading and the other isn't. It's having that kingdom mentality that we're a part of. So, for example, in terms of we'll talk about racism, because that's mostly what we're talking about in this podcast, right? Is there a systemic racism that has been part of our uh, country and our history and our past that needs to be addressed? The answer is yes. But is there also individual prejudice, right? Remember when we define racism, we have the two different terms. There's two A that we talk about, but there's also one, this individual in your heart. You know what I'm saying? It Does that need to be addressed as well? Well, yes, it does. Of course it does. You know what I'm saying? We need to be dealing with both as believers and with both as Christians. And sometimes we're going to land somewhere which is left, and sometimes we're going to land somewhere which is right, because ultimately we're under a kingdom authority and a kingdom mindset. Not, I mean, I'm not. people ask me all the time politically, oh, you're in this camp. And I'm like, no, I am not in that camp. Because I, I think part of the problem is that when we say certain things or make certain stances, yeah. people hear what we did not say. Right. I mean, I, I think sometimes that's good. Even though you've been doing this podcast, uh, that there's a temptation for people to hear things that we've never said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But because we're talking about injustice, because we're talking about racism, you know, th- there's this automatic assumption, oh, you must believe X, Y, and Z. 
you know, and, and one of the things that, that I said, you guys were making a conversation uh, not too long ago with somebody was that, yeah, we did. We've purposely never said certain things because those aren't stances or positions that we take, you know? And so what I ask is that please judge our conversations based on what we say. You know what I'm saying? In the sense of if, if we didn't say we support this or we think this, don't assume that, that that's a certain camp that we're connected to based on other things because, because it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so let me ask this question then. What are the challenges with the left? What are the challenges yeah, with, with the Democratic Party agenda or right. philosophy, if you will? Well, I think, like you said, uh, both parties kind of want the kingdom without the king. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I see this more actually on the left side than the right side, but I think it is true of both yeah. sides. So what we mean when we say that is the left side, especially, you know, there's this fight for equality and justice and freedom, and it all sounds great. And honestly, like justice and freedom and equality are biblical things like those are a part of the kingdom of God, but they don't want anything to do with Jesus or the church or Christianity. Um, and so because of that, it leads to, I think kind of like twisted views of justice and freedom and equality. So, so for example, if we just look at freedom, like I feel like a lot of the left agenda is pursuing this like absolute freedom from anything or anyone mm-hmm. like don't put a label yeah. on me don't That's tell right. me what i can and can't do or be it's kind of like whatever i whatever i feel is therefore right and and so you know it's it's like even if you look at like the gender movement right you know transgender and um you know gay and and all this stuff there's this viewpoint of you know let me just be whatever whatever i feel um, you know, don't put me into a category. And the problem is, with, with this kind of view is that you, you get in this place where like, and I think we're seeing this a lot in some of the, or I'm hearing this from um, pastors that live in very progressive cities, uh, very left cities, is that a lot of people, they've got like this immense freedom that they've ever had, but there's this loss of purpose there's this like emptiness that they feel because like if if we just think about it personally whenever i'm when i'm free to do whatever i want like whatever i want i i end up in sin (laughs) like i end up making choices that aren't actually good for me like if we just think about food if i just if i want to just eat whatever i want well i'm gonna get overweight because i i love giordano's pizza and mountain dew And like, that's not ultimately good for me, you know, Um, or even just in terms of sex. Like if I just, if I went on every feeling that I ever had, like I would destroy my family and my marriage. I would completely destroy that. And so it's like, is freedom good? Yes. And there's like, freedom is a part of the kingdom of God, but it's a different kind of freedom. It's freedom it's freedom from sin being because the scripture teaches that we're slaves to something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and without Jesus, we're slaves to sin. We are, um, our, our, what we think we're free, but actually we're not free. We're just going to continue to end up in sinful patterns because we have this, this sinful nature in us that continues to draw us into sin. And so, um, so, but there is this freedom. God provides this freedom from that. So with Christ, we're no longer slaves to this sin, but we can actually be free from it. And so I think God gives us, instead of this, just like freedom from all these kind of restrictions, God gives us a freedom to, a freedom to pursue holiness, a freedom to live like Jesus, a freedom to, um, build a, a kingdom of God. And mm-hmm. um, so we're no longer slaves of sins, but we are slaves to Christ is the way that mm-hmm. scripture words it. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think, you know, like I, I've been talking for a while, but I think the left pursues this absolute freedom, but it's actually harmful. It actually leads to um, emptiness and a slavery to sin, as opposed to what we think we might be getting by being free. Yeah, I would also say that the, one of the challenges with the left is the movement to tear down the labels 
that exists within any structure. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of this, this notion of, of, of freedom that, that you talked about, or this understanding of freedom to, to tear down any kind of label that exists, you know, and that, you know, we look at gay and transgender and, and all these different issues. It, it's, it's this movement to just tear down, you know, even religion, you know, it, it, any labels of, of whatever it is, you know, to, to mm-hmm. kind of tear down those labels and, and even institutions in some ways uh, in, in the name of creating a sense of equality. You know what I mean? Right. In, in the name of these things. And um, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, the left views thing. There is always critiquing things on like a societal level, a systemic level, right? So yeah. they're tearing down the, they see maybe, maybe valid issues in the different structures we have set up, but their solution is to just tear it all down. But that's actually not, not helpful. So, so for instance, even, even male, female, like gender roles, right? Like we definitely see issues in that we see male dominance. That's just totally unhealthy. We see, um, what toxic domestic domestic violence and all this kind of stuff. That's just sinful. Right. But the solution isn't just to get rid of everything that defines man and woman and just say men and women are exactly the same because we're not, we're not the same. We have, we have differences. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, and even biblically, like some of those differences are good and, mm-hmm. and they complement each other and it's, it's helpful. It's good, but, but it shouldn't be this toxic relationship. It shouldn't be this oppressive relationship at all. So I think the left sees a lot of these maybe different issues, um, but then wants to just tear it all down. And that's right. not, helpful there's a there's a big movement of deconstruction Mm -hmm. i think that is part of not just the left even the right of like this is a problem okay let's tear it down this is a problem okay let's tear it down and even within the church you know pastors fake uh people are oppressive towards different groups they aren't as transparent as they need to be it's all about money it's all about and listen some of those critiques are straight up valid do you mm-hmm. get what I'm saying? And to, to question those and be like, we need to f- fix this is good. But like to rip down the structures to have something be structureless may not be <laughs> the best solution. Well, I, I'm, I'll go it, farther it, to say it is it, not, not the best solution. It is not. Yeah, that's, it's not. <laughs> and I think, I think that's the, the biblical worldview is, yes, we can critique these things. I'm not against the critiquing. I'm not against saying, okay, where is the church messed up? Let's tighten this up, but also with the goal of ultimately we're looking for that biblical foundation, the biblical world, the worldview, a biblical way of approaching these things, biblical justice, biblical, you know what I'm saying? At every point. And I think it's not to throw out all the foundation. It's not, that's not helpful at all. Deconstruction is helpful at a certain point. But then to rebuild, do you know what I'm saying? And I think that's actually the game changer. And that's one of the challenges, though, when you look at everything as a system and you look at yeah. everything corporately, you know, yeah. which, which tends to be the ideology of the left. Yeah. Everything you see as a system and corporation. So when you see problems, it's like we have to dismantle the whole thing yeah. because that is the, you know, versus saying, yeah. OK, this, you know, this this pastor is not doing well or there's, you know, there's a you negate the individual in certain respects. And it's a weird dynamic because in some ways it's like there's a movement to try to champion the individual in mm-hmm. terms of this freedom David talked about. But on the other side, it, it's, it's also this movement to tie the individual to the structural, mm-hmm. if I'm making sense. You sure. know what I mean? So it's an it's a interesting dynamic when, when you kind of look at the philosophy of, of the left and, and how they're kind of moving uh, right now against mm-hmm. these things. And, and, you mm-hmm. know, so it's, it's, it's interesting to say the least. Sure. Right. So when we talk specifically about issues of race, mm-hmm. um, you know, do we want to talk about um, just how each, each the right versus the left kind of approaches some of those things specifically? <laughs> Oh yeah, definitely so. Um, yeah, I, I would say, um, I, w- I would say the right approaches issues of race and racism more from an individual perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are people who are racist. There are organizations that are racist. 
and they shouldn't be. And so how do we, again, as individuals fight this problem of racism? So it's connected mm-hmm. to, you know, neo-Nazi organizations and, you know, the white nationalist organizations, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that clear have, have kind of a clear cut racial undertone. You know, it, it's viewed as individuals that are violent towards, discriminatory towards, you know, towards black people. Um, I would say the left then more or less sees the institutional structural racism in some ways. Um, and, and there's more a movement or, or geared toward at least beginning to deal with those things. Mm-hmm. Um, again, my, my, my issue is it's not either or, it is both and. Mm-hmm. Um, right. and. And I feel like the left, there's so many different things they just get wrong in this fight. Um, and, and that's super frustrating. But then the right, I feel like there's so many things they get wrong in this fight. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like it's a, yeah. it, it, it's the, the assumption is that Democrats aren't racist and don't have issues of racism. And mm-hmm. Republicans are racist and do. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the biggest misconceptions in modern politics. You know, to, to be of the assumption that because somebody is Republican or votes Republican, they are racist. And if somebody is a Democrat, they're not racist because they're with it and they get it is a huge problem right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, because one of the challenges is whenever, you know, you, you see a friend or somebody who's, who's got a Trump sign out mm-hmm. or that they, you, you just know they're Republican and automatically you want to assign them the tag of racism because they tend to vote Republican. And right. that's not like, like because somebody's a Democrat doesn't mean they don't have issues of race in their heart they have to deal with. Yeah. You understand? Like mm-hmm. racism is not a, a, a partisan issue. And that's one of the problems at all. Uh, the, the biggest debate I think is how to deal with it. You know, right. it, you know, the right has a particular lens the left has a particular lens, but, but we can't afford to make the mistake to, to think that because somebody is a Democrat, they've mastered all things race and they don't have issues of, of racism. Uh, because one of the challenges with the democratic party, honestly, is the patriarchal view of race, mm-hmm. the, the white savior view of, we need to help these poor people that can't get it together. Mm-hmm. That is often patronizing, you know? And there's an element of, of that the white savior mentality philosophy that you often find inter, intertwined into the Democratic Party. You find people that want to serve in black and brown communities, but don't want to live in black and brown communities. Right. You know, like oh, you wanna, man. I'm, I'm saying you want to like visit. But you that's don't a good. Do that's a good quote there. Yeah, like you want to yep. you want to visit, mm. you know, because you with the movement, but but there's no actual. You, you're not doing. There's no actual authentic sense of connection beyond that. Right. It looks you know good on paper, but you yeah. don't have skin and, in the game. And it has to be more than a hashtag. Like it has to be yeah. more than than just the hashtag quote Black Lives Matter or hashtag. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm doing my part, whatever it is. Mm. Um, it, it has to be more of a depth. And sometimes what you find amongst the Democratic Party from that ideology is kind of the white savior, you know, patriarchal, I'm here to swoop in and save yeah. black America. Hmm. That's I, that's not helpful. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. I was just thinking, you know, last week we talked a little bit about, or maybe it was the week before, I can't remember now, all the podcasts blur together, but <laughs> we talked about some different cases of, um, police violence. Yeah, I think it was last week. Yep. Um, and I was just thinking about just the way that both um, parties look at these cases. So, so to use an example, uh, Breonna Taylor, right? This has been a big case, uh, uh, very divisive uh, for sure, and and debated uh, this year. But uh, in short, you know, she was um, killed by. Uh, police officers who uh, raided or broke down the door and uh, went into her apartment. Um, basically, so so the right wants to look at um, every individual thing with that case, every moment. Okay, so her boyfriend fired the first shot. So, you know, that gave the officers maybe the right to fire back, you know, like, so it, it's very like focused in on the um, individual elements of the case. But then the left wants to look at maybe some of the um, the overarching things or the 
uh, pattern of police brutality, or maybe even saying, even if the law permitted the officers to fire into the apartment, maybe that law should be changed. Yeah. Does or, that kind of make sense? Well, even, I get your point, but here's a better example of it, I think. Uh, now there's a movement to get rid of no-knock warrants altogether. Yep. Then nobody, and I think there are cases when no-knock warrants make sense. I think the blunder in this case is not necessarily in a no-knock warrant, you know, and I'll probably get crucified by the woke community for saying this, right? <laughs> I was uh, thinking it as you were saying it. <laughs> the, the, the issue was the information taken before the judge and it being inaccurate and that right. not being a, a, a situation that warranted, you know, for lack of a better word, a no-knock warrant. Right. Because there's certain dangerous types of situations where, where the best thing to do is to go in the cover of the night. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but you got to make sure your investigation is, is lined up for that to, to work and people not get hurt. Now, Absolutely. the other issue in that case um, has to do with Brianna's boyfriend firing one round. And I just don't see from a police procedural situation how those officers fired almost 40 rounds yeah. blindly into an apartment, not knowing who was in it at all. Bro. Right. And so we talk about if there's injustice in that case, that's the place. And that's yeah. for me, that's the most difficult part to reconcile, mm -hmm. um, because the argument from the boyfriend is, well, I didn't know that they were police. Either either they didn't announce themselves or he didn't hear them. He thought somebody was breaking in. And so he fired around, supposedly. Right. Um, but, or but he was lying. But that's I option. mean, yeah, yeah, right. Either way. That's what supposedly. Um, but I, either way. I don't see how him firing one shot warrant those officers firing almost 40 rounds blindly into an apartment. Yep. Like th there's no policy and procedure in law enforcement that would condone blindly firing into an apartment that many rounds, having no clue of who or what is inside. Even any rounds, just like, I understand 40s a lot, um, but I know that talking to one of my uh friends that is a was in the police forces he's like there's if you're using um if you're using uh what's the term uh deathly for uh, what's the word lethal deathly, force lethal force thank you he's like if you're using lethal force it doesn't matter if it's one bullet or if it's if we have empty the whole clip it's it's the same but my my to your point i think the issue is not seeing the target and you you shoot the target not other you know, innocent people that could be in the way, yeah. but I don't want to get us too off topic on. Yeah, my, my <laughs> bad. I just went. Out of case. Sorry, no, no, it's I good. It. It's me. good. But I was just trying to point out <laughs> that kind of this individual, the idea of the right looking so much as and the individual, the left looking yeah. at the systemic issues, is that when we even look at you know case like that, like we the both parties take totally different approaches. Um, to the situation or even like we talked about um, George Floyd or whatever right so a lot of the right response would be well he was a terrible he was a terrible officer and it's very individually focused on on him and the left is saying no this is part of a police problem and you know in Minneapolis they abolished the police department so two totally different responses to a problem both of which I think are missing, are are missing it. Yeah, yeah. The the whole kind of defund the police movement and and what it has meant in different contexts mm -hmm. definitely speaks to that that kind of difference of approach and and what needs to happen. So that's good. So why don't we spend the rest of our conversation here talking about what's what's our end game? Yeah, or what should. Um, the church's end game be what what are what's our what's our goal what are we what are we hoping to work toward because we're saying you know our goal isn't just to conserve what america already has been or our goal isn't to progress so much that we're tearing down all these structures but then what is what is our goal i, I think the first step for the church uh and i say this in a general sense is that we have to divorce ourselves from strict party ideology mm -hmm. because there's, you know, the, the church has kind of married itself to the democratic party and to the Republican party. 
You know, so you have different arms of the church, different denominations, whatever, kind of have strictly adhered to one or the other. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we do a detriment to the kingdom when when we can no longer operate in any degree of objectivity when it comes to political party. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a dangerous place to be in as believers when we can't objectively be critical of, of both parties and see, okay, these ideologies line up with scripture. These ideologies don't line up with scripture. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I think I, the first thing, has to go, oh, I'm sorry, you go ahead. No, I think that's really helpful. I just want to add on to what you're saying. I think that's really helpful because I think right where we started, we t- we're talking about the kingdom without a king. Yeah. I think as Christians, as, as people that believe in Jesus, followers of Jesus need to understand that we have a king and we have a kingdom that we're a part of. And that is neither any party, even if you're third party, for goodness sakes, which we didn't touch on at all, ultimately as believers, we're under the kingdom of God. God is our king. Jesus is our king. We are followers of Jesus first and foremost. And that's the lens of which we should view all things political, all things racial, all things in every way that we do as Christians. Yeah. Yeah. Being a Christian means that, that, that we're citizens of a whole, a whole nother nation. Mm-hmm. Like our citizenship, our primary citizenship is a completely different nation. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think that's primary in, in how we begin to navigate political yep. landscapes. Um, that's I think I think we can no longer afford to be manipulated by politicians mm-hmm. uh, to blindly just support political ideology and agenda. Yep. Um, you know, I've been saying the last several months, um, even preaching like God doesn't have a party. You know what I mean? Like God doesn't have a party. Yeah. His only party is himself. (laughs) Yeah, He he has something altogether different. The kingdom of God is altogether different. Yeah. And yes, we vote. Yes, we engage in politics. uh, But but my hope for the church is that we would divorce ourselves from from this deep seated party allegiance that has developed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I see it, you know, in a lot of the white church, there's, this like you know feeling like all is lost because you know trump lost the election well they're still in litigation or whatever but but there's like all hope is lost like the kingdom is lost and i'm like no like god's still on his throne like but then but then i see a lot of my black Christian friends who are like rejoicing like jesus has come back because biden won and it's like guys like no He's not bringing about the kingdom of God either. Like there's, there's going to be major issues for the church, regardless of who ends up being president or in control of the Senate or, or the house. Um, there's, there's major issues and we kind of highlighted some of them already, but um, yeah, God, God is about a different kingdom and we are, we are supposed to be about a different kingdom, his kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's interesting. And I know we don't have time to get into like the history of political parties and how things got to where they are. Um, But I watched a brilliant video not too long ago. Um, What's the guy's name? Phil Vassar. Uh, Phil Vassar did a great video on why white Christians tend to be Republican and why black Christians tend to be Democrat. Uh, And I would encourage anybody to kind of Google that, go on YouTube and find that that video. Um, because I think he does a good job of explaining the two-party system, the history of it, kind of what what changes happen when, and what mm-hmm. kind of led. Because that's true. You you see, predominantly black churches uh, tend to support Democratic candidates, and then you see the white evangelical. I hate to even use that word because I don't even know what it means anymore. Uh, support, you know, be be more conservative. Uh, but there's specific reasons why that is, you know, and a lot of it has to do with civil rights. Um, and, you know, um, Voter Rights Act and Civil Rights Act and what party was responsible for bringing that legislation forward and, and helping it get passed through and those kinds of things. Um, and, and those civil rights, um, the legislation just, just earned a degree of street credibility with African-Americans in this country, specifically African-American Christians, you know, and even weaving through the nuances, uh, because to tell the truth, but most black Christians in terms of ideology are conservative. Yeah. It's just issues of civil rights, mm-hmm. for black and brown people. 
sure. is, is what has led the black church specifically to, in recent history, support the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. It's civil rights, you know, and, and really nothing else. It's really civil rights issues, yeah, you know, right. because of bills that have been brought forward, you know, and, and that's the key. You know, I was asked the question, why is the view that the Democratic Party supports equality and the Republican Party doesn't? And, and at the time, I didn't really answer it. The conversation kind of moved to some other places. Uh, but we have to we have to look at like the Civil Rights Act mm-hmm. and that time period, because that that that's when the Democratic Party kind of put their foot down in terms of racial equality and kind of got in the game. Mm-hmm. And when you look at specific bills and legislation that has been put forward during that time period and since then, um, it, it has been the Democratic Party that has more times than not, from a legislative perspective, championed legislation mm-hmm. that, 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 that would build racial equality. Mm-hmm. And so that's, yeah. you know, and on the flip side, white evangelicals, uh, the, the major issue is abortion mm-hmm. and right. the Republican parties um, work toward and stance on, on ending abortion in America. And so you kind of can see how the white church and the black church have kind of both been polarized really around one issue. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. In, a lot of ways, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it, it's about a singular issue, mm-hmm. right? You know, but, but those issues being, being pulled apart politically. And so now you have to choose this party if you care about that, and you have to choose this party if you care about that. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the challenging, it's one of the challenging parts of navigating this political world as a Christian, you know? Definitely. So I want to get back to the question I asked at the very beginning of this podcast, which was, uh, what is justice? What is biblical justice? You know, I think as we talk about our, what's our end game, um, I, I think of three things. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more than that, but yeah. um, three things when we talk about you know, some of the racial issues and whatnot, um, biblical justice, biblical equality, and biblical responsibility. It's yeah. kind of three things that I, I, I want to highlight, and maybe we can spend the next few minutes briefly trying to unpack some of this. I know we had a great conversation so far. I don't want it to drag on forever. But um, so biblical justice, you know, we believe that we have a God who is just, right? There are plenty of scriptures that call us as Christians to be just. Uh, one of the more famous ones, you know, is, is Micah 6, 8, mm-hmm. Uh Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what he requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Some translations say to do justice, to do justly, to live justly, you know. Um, uh, There's a proverb, Proverbs 31, 8 to 9 says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, ensure Mm. justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. Wow. So there's, there's plenty more, obviously, that we could dig through. But um, yeah, what I, think, I think something that might help kind of make the transition into this discussion is that Tim Keller quote, Dave, and you found this quote and we found it extremely helpful. And he says, the first facet of biblical justice is radical generosity. Well, secular individuals, individualism says that your money belongs to you, and socialism says your money belongs to the state. The Bible says that all your money belongs to God, who entrusts it to you. And I think when we're talking about justice and we're talking about parties and we're thinking about how the world is trying to fix these problems or view them, very quickly we figure out that the world's answers to them are not good answers and neither side is giving biblical answers. Mm. Whose money is it? Like when you're far right, you're like, don't take my money. I earned that. I worked for it. When you're far left, you're saying redistribute it, redistribute it to everyone. But the Bible is saying all of your money is God's. Yeah. That's a game changer. Yeah. I remember Jess was having a conversation with a coworker and they were talking about money and this even concept of tithing. She had never even heard of it. Like, what are you talking about? And Jess was like, no, no, the, see, the way that we view it, and he's like, maybe not all Christians have this quite locked in, but the way we're supposed to view it is it's none of it's our money. None of it. 
the house that we live in, the cars that we drive, the systems that we're part of, it's all Jesus. And so we can give with an open hand. We don't have to stress out about that. This is why justice is different for a believer. You know what I'm saying? And it's understanding the king that's in the kingdom who's above us as we reach out and help other people, as we're helping the downtrodden, as we're doing, as we're walking humbly, as we're doing right, doing justice, right? Loving mercy. It's under this kingship. And I think that's extremely helpful for us as we step forward as believers. Yeah, that's good. So, so, so Tim Keller says that justice starts with generosity, right? It's this understanding of resources and that it all belongs to God and that the heart of generosity is kind of the beginning of, of justice, right? Yeah, I think okay. so. All right, so, so, so let's keep going. What else we got? That's good. Well, I think another part of justice would be, you know, biblically, like if, if someone murders someone, justice is... And a proper punishment for the person who committed murder, right? Part of, part of God's biblical justice, we see the law in the Old Testament. He establishes what is right, what is wrong. There's also an establishment of proper punishment mm-hmm. for the crimes that are committed. Um, and I think that's important to understand even as we yes. talk about today's conversations mm-hmm. of cries for justice, cries for justice. Uh, l- last week, I think we talked a little bit about um, uh, uh, my brain just stopped working. OJ, talk about yeah. OJ, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and how you know, for a lot of black people, it felt like, "Hi, you're finally getting a taste of what we felt like." Mm-hmm. You know, like, and and there was like this thought of, "Well, that's justice now." Well, yeah. oh, that's that's not that's not justice, right? Yeah. So justice is is that proper punishment for what's um, yeah. what's wrong, well, the wrong that was committed. But it's also when we read so many of these verses about justice, God's talking about us speaking up for the poor and the helpless. Yep. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of, uh, the way I viewed it and I don't have like a perfect definition, but the way I viewed it is kind of like setting things right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Setting That's things good. as they should be, as God, you know, intended them to be or, or, or making them right, even when there has been a wrong, like restorative justice. And I think a great, a great, another great, I guess, illustration of what you're saying is the Jacob Blake case. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we live here in Kenosha, Wisconsin, uh, where there was kind of a national case that happened, the shooting of Jacob Blake shot seven times by an officer in his back. Um, And, and, you know, there was this disconnect you know, as things were going on here in Kenosha, where people were saying, yeah, but he was a criminal and he shouldn't have been in this place. And, mm-hmm. you know, these things wouldn't have happened if X, Y, and Z. Yep. Uh, and I think the proper response is, yeah, Jake probably deserved to be arrested that day. You know, mm-hmm. when we talk about justice, like justice isn't him necessarily just walking away with nothing. Right. Like mm-hmm. if, if there was a restraining order, if he was kidnapping kids, if he was not doing whatever the officer had told, like, that there seems to be reasons why Jake should have been arrested, right? Sure. Um, but but the issue again with, with equal punishment, as you mentioned, or, or distribution, that kind of thing, or setting things right. Um, to to be shot though in the back seven yeah. times doesn't doesn't seem like justice or a proper reaction to what mm-hmm. has happened, right? right. And so that's, that's an element of 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 you know to to your point, David. It's not. Because I think some people get frustrated when they see these cases, especially as it relates to police brutality. And they feel like, well, why are we making these people martyrs? Why are we making them heroes? And like, that's not what it is at all. You know, it, it's not it's not saying that people who have certain interaction with police officers shouldn't be arrested or do jail time. Maybe they should. Yeah. But being killed doesn't seem doesn't feel like justice in those situations. You know, when you're talking about people who are unarmed, that may or may not be committing a crime. I just think there's a far cry b- between being arrested and yes. being executed. Yes. Right? And, and, about- and even jump back to the Old Testament, right? So God, you know, gave Moses all these laws. And then there was actually a system of, of standing before Moses and pleading your case. And, and then, you know, eventually Moses set up uh, other people to hear mm-hmm. these cases and stuff. That's like the first example we see, I think, of, of kind of like what America is trying to 
work out in terms of having judges and court cases that like Jacob Blake deserved his date in court yeah, mm-hmm. right, for to sure. determine what yeah. his punishment was. And so that's, you know, a part of, of this justice. And, and to what Matt was saying earlier when he read the Tim Keller quote is that, you know, sometimes the left thought is, you know, we're just going to redistribute this wealth so it's just all even across the board. But that's also not really justice because there's no, like, there's no personal responsibility to, to work hard and earn, you know, if everyone just gets everything equally. Sure. You know, even when you look at some of the parables Jesus told and he gave the tenants and he gave one servant, you know, what was it, uh, seven, seven talents or whatever, and then another servant gets three and another gets one based on what they were, how he trusted them and how hard they worked, you know, in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that's helpful as we're trying to think about at least the government that we're under and the threads of each side, since we're in the two side, like of the individual responsibility and then corporate responsibility, right? Or the different viewpoints of both sides. I think we see consistently throughout scripture that the Lord is concerned with both. Mm-hmm. The Lord is explicitly concerned with how I behave myself. What's my heart? I confess my sins before God. He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You know what I'm saying? I trust in Jesus personally and I am saved. And yet we see consistently Old Testament and New Testament that he's also concerned with the corporate. He's also concerned with the generality are the widows being taken care of. He's also concerned with even the system in place with the Israelites of the year of Jubilee, right? When debts are forgiven, when land is returned, when slaves are freed in the year of Jubilee. Are you, you talk about a corporate move. It's a corporate move, right? The kingdom of heaven is not only individual or only corporate. Right. It's the king ruling, and he's concerned with both. And I think neither side has answers. And I think whenever we put our faith in either system, it's going to fall flat. Our faith has to be in Christ and in his church and in his kingdom. And so anyway, my rant's over there. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. So I think, yeah, go ahead. ahead. Okay. We talk about like biblical justice. Yep. You know, uh, we talk a little bit about responsibility, like you're saying, like we have an individual responsibility. We mm-hmm. also have a corporate responsibility. We see times in um, the Old Testament, especially comes to mind of the prophets and such, mm-hmm. like weeping and confessing sin on behalf of the nation. Yep. Right. So there's there's responsibility that we have uh, because we live in America. We feel that responsibility. Um, yep. But also, obviously, personal, like probably carries more weight what I personally do but also responsible collectively. But, but then to talk a little bit about biblical equality, mm-hmm. biblical equality. What is, um, what is biblical equality, guys? I think it has to do with people being treated with the same standards, mm-hmm. you know, and the same type of respect regardless of, you know, race, uh, sex, status in life. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the amazing things we see in the early church is that they developed this community that was built on biblical equality. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't matter your ethnicity. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. It didn't matter where you were in the caste system in terms of socioeconomics. There, there was a, it, and, it, and, it, and this is the nuance. It didn't strip those things away from people. Right. It didn't strip it away. It didn't say you're not this ethnicity. You're not that. It didn't say, well, you're not a man. You're not a woman. It didn't or say. You're not poor. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you're not an aristocrat and you're a merchant. It yeah. didn't, but, but it created this space at the cross mm-hmm. for there to be equality in it. That regardless yeah. of that, we're one family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, God sees us as equal. We're, we're all we're all equalized at the foot of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And I think that's like that's that's biblically what equality looks like. It, it's the cross that equalizes all the differences, all the yeah. all the categories that people put each other in. All of that is neutralized at the foot of the cross. Yeah. And even before the cross, it was pointing to that, you know, the, the thread of biblical history, the head of the thread of 
humanity's history, you know, from uh, God calling Abraham and saying, through you, all nations will be blessed, right? When he created Adam, he created Adam and Eve in the image of God, he created them, the Imago Dei. That means every human being that's alive is carrying the image of God. The Imago Dei is on all of them. People can't live up to that standard without Jesus, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because human, human nature is to categorize and yep. be better than somebody yep. and to conquer. And in sin, you know, there, there was, there, there will always be this element of better than, less than, yeah. conquering, uh, arrogance. Even Israel, who were, who were God's people, yeah. sake of, of falling into, we talk about this in Bible study, yep. sense of elitism. Yeah. And, and what God said to Abram is that the world is going to know me through you. Yeah. And over time, because in their human, in their flesh, like, like any of us would do, it became, we're God's people and you're not. Right. You know, and that, that wasn't God's original intention. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Christ came and made things right. You yep. know what I'm saying? And so apart from Jesus, the, the true sense of equality that we seek is, 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 is impossible to uh, obtain in some ways, you know, on that level. Um, yep. of, course, of course, you can try to legislate degrees of equality, but, but we know only the gospel can change the hearts of people, right? We know only, only this relationship with Christ can bring a proper worldview of mm. authentic equality because without it, you get some perversion. Yep. Again, you get to tear it all down or, or you get something different. Either way, you, you get some element of perversion. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So it's, it's through this lens of Christ that, that we see genuine, authentic equality in what it actually looks like. That's mm-hmm. the only place to find it. Good, and thanks be to God that He is yeah. uh, in 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 the process of making all things new. Yeah. And uh, when we get to the end of Revelation, and we get to read about um, the kingdom of heaven, the new Jerusalem, uh, God, Jesus coming back and establishing His yeah. kingdom here on earth, and how amazing that's going to be to just have everything right, have everything yeah. good, and 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 perfect and to live in his presence and ah, it's going to be great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and we're calling this episode in game to kind of wrap up our season. Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, politics aside, right? Like political, we, we talked a lot about party stuff, all of that aside. Uh, I know, I know my desire and I know you guys resonate with this is to see the church come together in a complete and healthy way. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as I mentioned earlier, kind of our divorce from political party mm-hmm. and, and to really take a deep dive into biblical unity and what mm-hmm. that actually looks like. I think the church has to begin to work some stuff out amongst ourselves. Right. Because yep. we've been so polarized and we've chosen all these different perspectives, even amongst the church. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the church needs to begin to work out a deep sense of what unity actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. only we can model unity for the world. And we talk about the end game. That's it. The, the world, our nation can't come together unless the church mm-hmm. first comes together. Mm-hmm. Because we know yeah. unity is something that God does through the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's not in legislation per se. It's not in who's in office per se. It's, it's wrapped up and tied to the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my fear is that we've assigned the Democrats and the Republicans the responsibility that God entrusted to us. Yeah. Like it's not their job to really make this nation what it can be. It is the church, mm. you know, and in terms of ministering to the hearts of people in, in even in terms of influencing legislation and, and as they say, speaking truth to power, holding all of our politicians accountable, whatever it, it, it starts with the church and we have to begin to focus on unity and have difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because, because the, the thing is this, our, our perspectives, especially those that are rooted in Christ, will ultimately make the body stronger. Mm. You know, like we talk about white Christians uh, being super passionate about abortion and black Christians being super passionate about civil rights. Like what happens when we find a sense of unity and bring and we start to come together mm-hmm. and we really process well, what happens when we create a church? Uh, that is anti-abortion and anti-racism. Mm-hmm. Like what happens mm-hmm. when we create a church that, that learns how to embrace the dominant issues of the day strictly from a biblical place? Mm-hmm. 
And then how does that impact politics in America? Yeah. Right. You know, versus being polarized and pulled apart through politics in America. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like how do that's we, real good. Like that's, I, I think ultimately that's, that, that's what pleases the heart of God. Us, mm-hmm. us finding ways to do that. Yep. You know, I love like, it. So I'll make an announcement right now. Uh, Lawrence Kirby for president 2024. <laughs> Oh, oh no! On what ticket though? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> kingdom, kingdom of God start, ticket. You gotta start a new party. <laughs> <What's> that ticket. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's hilarious. That's that's just a joke. In case you you were confused. Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for joining us uh, yeah. today. Uh, like we said, this is our final podcast for episode or for episode for season one, right? <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna take a, a short break and. Uh, come back to you with some more episodes and content we're hoping to have a few guests on yeah, in season two um get some different perspectives and thoughts uh that's a big part of our heart um so with that uh, i really want to encourage you to send us an email uh bridge the divide podcast at gmail.com uh, we want to hear from you uh feedback thoughts uh we also yeah. want to hear you know maybe there's some things that you'd love to hear us discuss in season two or some people that um, you think we should try to interview or something like that, um, hit us up, let us know. Mm -hmm. And uh, with that, uh, we'll wrap up and we'll see you guys in season two. Cool. All right. Thanks for listening to Bridge the Divide. Shout out today to you, our amazing listeners. We love you. Thanks so much for joining us on these conversations. As we look forward to season two, we want to hear your feedback, uh, thoughts, suggestions. So please send us an email at bridgethedividepodcast at gmail.com. If you found this podcast helpful, do us a favor, hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend. See you next time on Bridge the Divide Podcast. Thank you.